Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. This week, we'll look back at the opening T20 between Australia and England in Perth as England go 1-0 up in the series with an eight-run win. And we'll hear from both Joss Butler and Marcus Stoinis, as well as senior cricket writer Robert Crash Craddock, who joins us live um, from the offices of the Brisbane Courier-Mail. The former Rajasthan Royals batter Abhishek Jujanwala discusses India's chances at the uh, T20 World Cup and Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast discusses another eventful week in West Indies cricket as Shimron Hetmeyer misses out on a place in their World Cup squad after missing an already rescheduled flight. And we'll end the show by looking at some domestic matters as a new proposal, a compromise proposal to change English cricket and the ECB are closer to appointing a new chief executive so plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. But it's off to Australia we go immediately, where Robert Crash Craddock has... Uh, we've got lots and lots of questions for you, Crash. Thank you very much indeed for your time. First of all, uh, your impressions on about that first T20? Well, I have to say, every time I see the modern England team... My mind drifts back to the 90s when uh, Mike Gatting and, and Gucci were playing white ball cricket and Cat <laughs> was sort of uh, stumbling around a bit and they just weren't fit. The, you, you just got the impression, OK, Graham Gooch was, but that they just weren't. And, and suddenly, uh, you know, maybe it was Trevor Bayless, maybe it was someone else, but there's this sharpness and vitality about him. And I, I love this modern England team. And, of course, Butler is so well-respected. He's just been one of the cleanest cities in the world. But uh, they're dangerous, and Australia accepts that. OK, it wasn't a full-strength Australian team, but uh, I love Mark Wood's pace. It's it's still got a place in every form of the game. So uh, it lit a fuse, that game, Manners. Suddenly, I walked in the office today, and people are talking cricket after a winter of football. You know, they're talking. It's great. I loved it. 
yeah, I, I watched that game yesterday, Crash, and I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, this might be the final. This might be the the, yeah. the two yeah. teams that, that could, especially on Australian pitches. I'm not saying that India are out of the equation by any stretch, but I think it suits England and it suits Australia, both bat and ball, playing on these bouncier pitches. But there was a little incident in the middle of it, and I'm thinking, ooh, I'd love to see that in the final. I really would to see what would have happened. I think Joss might have appealed. What did what did the, what did the Australians make of it? Because there's a few of us here on our high horse after what happened in the obviously in the women's game um, at Lords, where the mankind came in and the spirit of the cricket got questioned. My opinion on it would have been I'd have lent on Matt Wade's shoulder, made him watch the big screen, and say to him, if I was Joss Butler, just whisper in his ear. What would you have done in this situation? Because you've been here before. Yeah, <laughs> he has. He did appeal for a run out, um, a um, obstructing the field too against Ben Stokes, of course. But it, it's a very good point, and it has divided the cricket community over here. Uh, Usman Khawaja, uh, no less a judge than him, just tweeted, "I can't believe they didn't appeal Joss Butler." And of course, Joss said that it's early in the tour, and hinted that he might save that for the tournament proper if it happens, but it started a discussion about the spirit of cricket, Steve. And the, the, the tone of it is changing, I have to say. Like mancads, you know, people have had enough of batsmen wandering out of their crease when a bowler who puts his foot over by a millimetre is called for a no ball. So not one person I've spoke to thought that Matthew Wade shouldn't have been given out obstructing the field if England had have appealed. I mean, I, I've just written a story and I've said, he was like a, a neurotic father worried about his kids crossing a busy road when he shoved that arm out. It was that sort of shove, wasn't it? That sort of, hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Has he commented? No, he hasn't, actually. And, that, and that's the interesting thing. Um, but he will in time. And uh, I, I'll say this about Matthew Wade, okay? His story is quite remarkable. Like, he, he was written off as a test match wicketkeeper years and years ago. And he said, I am rising again. I mean, he's had testicular cancer and the same grit and grunt and cement that he that he displayed in resuscitating his career as a batsman in red in tests and as a batsman keeper in white ball cricket. That was on display yesterday. It was an old he said it was an AFL player in Tasmania and it was an old fashioned AFL pump. So it was but yeah, you wouldn't get away with that in the tournament proper. What's going on with the team crash? It's um, it's it's all very confusing. Um, Nathan Ellis and Cameron Green seem to have become mainstays, and they're not in the T Twenty World Cup squad. And then, and then the captain Aaron Finch has spent twenty years opening the batting, and he's he's walking out at number four five minutes before the tournament. What's going on? Very good question. This is what you get when you have to choose a team months ahead, and you've got fixtures to play. Odd storylines bob up. Even Mark Waugh said on commentary, he said, I've got no idea what Australia is doing with this team. And he was a former T20 national selector. Manners, here's what I think is happening. They feel deep down that Ashton Agar will be ruled out of the team through injury. He has a side strain. So they want to see whether Cameron Green, who opened beautiful and played beautifully in India, can open in Australia because he may add a dimension to the whole team with his pace bowling and his big hitting. It hasn't worked, but they've trialled it. That meant Aaron Finch dropping down to replace Steve Smith. Now, I don't think Steve will play much role at all in the World Cup. He's got a strike rate of about 125 or something like that. So they want to see whether Aaron Finch can do a better job of being Steve Smith than Steve Smith. 
<laughs> Finch will return to the opening position for the next game, but it's very fluid. I, I will say this. Australia have got a good team, There's, but that is the loose thread in it, Steve. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that there are one of the, the, the sort of favours for the tournament because obviously it's in their own back garden. Especially, and, and speaking of the own back garden crash, what's it like in Australia now? You know, looking at a tournament, we are, we've had COVID, we're coming out of the other side of it, bubbles and all that stuff. Australia reluctant to tour and the government closed the place down. Is it a lot easier to move around? Is it a lot better to move around? And are Australia ready to, to host a tournament which has got 20 different, well, 12, 14 different countries coming over with the qualifiers as well? Yeah, it has. Most of the COVID restrictions have been abolished, Steve, and uh, that's been merciful. Crowds are returning in good numbers to the football, to the cricket. They're not there yet. There was only 4,000 to a crowd featuring Australia in the West Indies and the Gold Coast the other night, but they will get there. And I I think this tournament will create its own publicity and it'll get things moving again. But mercifully, those days of restrictions appear to be behind us, which is of great relief, I can tell you. And just lastly for me, do Australia know their best team? You mentioned about different scenarios and... I, I can probably pick England's team now for the first game. Yeah. India's probably the same. You'd pick their team, not a problem. Can Australia pick their team and wholeheartedly say, this is my best 11? Do they know it? No. It's a good question and it's a simple answer. No. They're just not sure. Aaron Finch is fading, Steve, and he's captain and he's just hanging on. He, he will play, I think, as an opener. But here's the innings, I think, that can get him into trouble. superficially, it'll look all right on paper. It'll be 25 of 25 balls. But that can lose you a T20 final Mm. if your opposite number scores 25 of 15. So it's tricky. It's tricky. He's fading, and I just think that he will start the World Cup. But you know this, Steve. When a captain wobbles, the side wobbles with him. It's a huge talking point. And that's the last thing to be battened down. Mitchell Marsh, he's not bowling at the moment. They'd love to have him in the team bowling. So, yeah, there's a couple of loose wheels there. But generally, they know their their bowling attack, which is pretty much anchored in. And uh, there's just a couple of bit of concern over Finch. Rightful concern, I must say. Just before we let you go, Crash, you just wrote a fascinating piece about uh, the game sort of eating itself from the inside. And you were talking about... um, going in different directions after the T20 World Cup. It's sort of, I don't know, it was, I, don't, I didn't know whether to be um, curious or, or depressed uh, about your global view. Well, yeah, I just feel, Manners, that the game is tugged in so many directions that cricket's greatest rival is cricket. It's not golf. It's not tennis. It's cricket. Like, here's one example, all right? I went to a launch today of the Women's Big Bash, which starts on Thursday. Really nice little competition. But its competition is the Men's World Cup, you know, so it runs headlong into that. So cricket is fractured in so many different directions with so many franchise leagues, 20 over cricket versus 50 over cricket versus test cricket. And it's just, a, I don't know, I sense it's so milky that the common fan just doesn't know where to look. And that worries me because if you're an, Steve is a Newcastle fan, and uh, you, you follow the follow the EPL, you know where to look, you know when to look, you know what to look for. It's all there. Whereas I just reckon cricket fans don't know where to look these days. And that's my simple concern. 
Crash Craddock, it's always a massive pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time and uh, have a great World Cup. Thank you. And I'll tell you what, if I get to England, I'm going to visit Steve's village. It's Accrington. Is, is that right, yeah. Steve? Ashington, yeah. yeah. You're more than welcome. I'd love to host you up here. It'd be great fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to go to your house one day when you've got the whole family there, all the kids, just to feel that real family vibe and to uh, open a couple of uh, beers. And uh, I just think that would be heaven on a stick, mate. So uh, pencil it in. And re- uh, you'll regret inviting me. I promise you that. No, no, you'd be, <laughs> you're more than welcome. I'll give, you f- I'll, I'll give you five minutes before you're running for the door and running for the hills. My house is a madhouse, <laughs> I tell you. You'll be dizzy. You'll, you'll spin around twice and think, oh, my God, I'm going to eat, sit in the garden and drink me cold beer in the cold. I can't, I can't <laughs> last five minutes in that house anymore. <laughs> God love you. Well done. See you, lads. Thank you. That was uh, Robert Crash Craddock, the one and only from the Brisbane Courier Mail. Just before we move on to talk about India, uh, let's just remind ourselves of um, what Just Butler said when he was asked about why he didn't appeal against Matthew Wade and uh, his obstructing the field. Uh, they said, did we want to appeal? But um, I said, no, I, I just had my eyes on the ball the whole time, so I didn't really see what happened. And um, like I said, I didn't, I didn't see it. Um, I didn't see it live. I was just looking at the ball. So um, I just thought it's, it's quite hard to sort of, what I don't know what I'm appealing for, really. I don't know if, I didn't really, I could have asked maybe some of the other boys, boys to see if they had a better view, but... Um, I just thought we'd get on with the game, and um, but yeah, if if we had a case, then maybe I should have asked a few more of the lads if they saw. That was Josh Butler taking uh, the pragmatic view that uh, they're going to be in Australia for a long time, um, so uh, we'll keep things clean. Um, but England pretty much had the game won at that stage anyway. And another reminder of uh, what Marcus Stoinis said about uh, England's chances in Australia. They're a really good team, and uh, the way they took it up to us in the power play and. They're world-class players, obviously, some of the probably, arguably, some of the best in the world um, with Joss and how Hales hit the ball, you know, so they're going to be as strong as anyone come World Cup time. And it's probably, look, to be honest, it's a good game to watch for, for the people seeing 210 scored. So, yeah, they're a good team. There's Marcus Stoinis uh, taking a, a pretty common view that uh, England are going to present a, a massive threat um, if they can decide what their best 11 is, because I can't. I reckon all 15 members of that squad could very, very easily make uh, the starting 11. Let's move on to India then. Jasprit Bumrah, we've known for a while, has, uh, has been ruled out. Both Nashwad Kumar, I don't know, just doesn't quite seem to have got back to his very best. Arshdeep Singh is a bit pretty inexperienced in that uh, department. But then, you know, you... I find it very peculiar that we're we're almost talking down India's chances. Why on earth would we do that? No, you can't really talk down their chances. But the one thing is they have to will have to change their sort of game plan to a certain extent. You play when you look at India, they get to a point where they feel as though if they get four overs to go, chasing nine ten with nine ten and over, you know, try to defend it with Jasper Bumrah, they'll defend it because he is a fantastic death bowler. You take a, a good death bowler out of the equation, then all of a sudden you, you that number goes up. No doubt, no question. It's like you, you've got the argument in, in English cricket, what do you do when you lose Braun Anderson? You can't replace them, they're irreplaceable. But what you have to do is try and take 20 wickets a different way, have a, a different type of game plan. And I think that's something that India will, will have to look at because their death bowler now 
you know, has been hampered because of, of, of Jasper Bumner's in, injury. So you don't replace people like that. You just have to try and find a way of doing things differently. And that might be they have to keep the spinner for that little bit later in the, at the end of the death for that, that keeping for one extra over to try and sort of take the wicket, try and make the breakthrough or to try and bowl that tight over as in, instead of sort of 14, 15, it might be 16, 17 to have a, a gamble. So that'll be in Robert Sharman's mind when it comes to it. You can't replace somebody who is as talented as Jasper Brummer. You just have to change your game plan a little bit accordingly for whoever comes in. But whoever comes in is, is obviously has is, is not got the skill set to bowl at the death. For me, the death is huge for, for India. Bumra was was one of the best in the business, if not the very best in world cricket at bowling the last two, three overs of a, of a T20, T20 contest. OK, let's get the thoughts of former IPL batsman and um, talk sport commentator Abhishek Jujanwala. It's a massive blow for India. Just with Bumra, we know how important he is, not just not in the power play, but how important he is at the back end of the innings because his two overs or three overs at the back end turns things completely for India. And with him being out of the tournament, it's going to be a massive blow. As you said, a couple of guys who sh- should they be there? There's a question mark with it. Should they have taken a few more young blood who can play with more freedom and who've done exceptionally well in the last few years for playing for India and in IPL? I think Sanju Samson is one of them. I think he should have definitely been on that flight because he's somebody who's very good against short bowling. And in Australia, you need players like him who, are, who can play the short ball and take the bowlers on. And to not take him into the squad, I think that's a massive blur. Some felt that Mohamed Shami should be in the side irrespective of whether Jasprit Bumrah was there or not. It's expected, you're right, that Shami comes in. But if Samson was to play, who does he come in for? I would, I would go at the top of the order with him. I would play him at number three where Virat Kohli is playing at the moment because we have seen what he has done over the last few years. Whenever he's got an opportunity, yes, his international career hasn't really taken off the way you would, you would expect it to. But again, I think the team management has been... A bit unfair on him as well. They haven't given him proper chance, given him a long run. Uh, like a lot of others who have got a very, very long run and got themselves to settle down quite nicely. And with Sanju Samson, I just feel that they have been a bit unfair. And, and he's a game changer. He's an exciting player and he can take the game away very quickly through the op- oppositions. Virat Kohli, good news. He's back in form. He scored runs in the last couple of series. But still, I still have doubts with a couple of players in that, in that squad. Where are, the, where are the doubts? Is it, is it the age of the squad? Is it the, is it the bowling stock? I mean, on paper, as I say, that first 11, you know, it's got bags of experience. Yeah. It's, it's, won, it's won more than it's lost. I think it's also the current, current form. I'm a bit concerned with Rohit Sharma's form, to be honest, though he's the captain, he's leading the side. But his top of the, top of the order, he has not really fired in the last, last couple of series. Odd innings here and there, but... That puts a bit of pressure. KL Rahul, yes, we have seen him score a few runs in the last series. But again, his intent, his strike rate is always a concern. In f- some matches, he will come out and play those shots, which, and, which makes you wonder, why can't you bat like this every time? But then suddenly he gets into a shell in some of the games. So I think the opening will be a massive concern from India and how well they bat in this tournament uh, will really determine the, the, the fortunes for India. Bowling again is a big concern. Yudhavindra Chahal, we have seen that people are really trying to go after him now and they've got they've got I think they they now Yusufan the child really really worked well in India with slow pitches and with low pitches sometimes where the ball is not coming onto the bat but Australia will be a completely different ball game where the ball will bounce a bit more you can get under the ball you can get more elevation to get those shots 
they will heavily depend on Surya Kumar Yadav. But again, I've got question marks on him as well. Because he's unbelievable in subcontinent. We know how well he can bat on those placid belter of tracks. But again, when he goes to Australia, can he acclimatize himself that quickly with that extra bit of pace and extra bit of bounce? That's again going to be a big question mark. Though he's an unbelievable player. He's my favorite player. But again, how quickly can he adapt to those conditions will be... Yeah, we'll have to keep a close eye on that. That was former IPL batter Abhishek Jujanwala speaking um, on our special World Cup preview show, which you can listen to on the following on podcast where you found this podcast. Okay, a couple of interesting things that uh, he says there. He tips Sanju Samson for a place in the top three for for India at the World Cup. But, okay, he's not going to replace Rohit Sharma. And, uh, well, then he has to replace either Kale Rahul or Virat Kohli. Isn't it interesting how much similarity there is at the moment between Steve Smith and Virat Kohli in terms of do they make the best 11? Yeah, the, the same. I throw Ben Stokes in there as well. There's a lot of other podcasts that I've seen this week who just admit I was laughing at. What The same podcast had a go at Joe Root for going playing golf. He's not really sort of featured too much for Yorkshire and said he's the reason why they did not, that they got relegated. I couldn't stop laughing at that bit. And then I couldn't stop laughing at the bit when they were saying we can't, we shouldn't pick Ben Stokes. I'm like, really? Don't pick Ben Stokes in a, in a 2020 contest. I'm sorry, Matt, you've got that horribly wrong. And whoever thinks that Steve Smith's finished, whoever thinks Virat Kohli's finished, I'm sorry, you've got that wrong as well because these are world class players and the, the the feature in big tournaments. This is where they come alive. They don't come alive in bilateral series. They come alive in big games and big tournaments. So I think Steve Smith will play for Australia. I think Ben Stokes will play for England. And I've got no doubt Virat Kohli will play for India, especially in a big tournament. And as much as Samson is a good player and he's playing very, very well at the minute, unless he gets in for Keir Rahul, which I doubt it, um, Virat Kohli, Keir Rahul and obviously Rohit Sharma's captain. So they will play. And I would imagine they'll be their, their, their top three. And I can't see Samson playing. So temperament counts for more than strike rate. In the big games, in the big tournaments. In the big games, that's the question I always look at, right? Semi-final and final, who am I going to play? It's like it's like I'm watching football at the minute and trying to say the, the kid from Arsenal who's 19-year-old is better than Virgil van Dijk. And I'm like, really? In a big game, European Champions League final, who would you pick, 19-year-old from Arsenal or Virgil van Dijk? You pick Virgil van Dijk every day of the week. You know, the big game, MCG, semi-final or final, who walks out at number three or number four for, for your nation? I'm saying Ben Stokes walks out for me every single time, no matter, not so much, no matter how well he's playing. But these guys turn up. World Cup final 2019, who turned up? Ben Stokes. You know, big, big games. Who turns up? The big players. That's, what, that's why Virat Kohli gets paid the big bucks. Steve Smith, the same, because they, they turn up in the big games. So for me... Going into a big tournament, I would always want my big players playing. Crash just spoke brilliantly five minutes ago about Aaron Finch, the captain. If the captain has a bad time, then the team has a bad time. If the best player stands there first game of the tournament and has a big score, it lifts the dressing room. And that's why you pick your best players at the start of the tournament because you hope that the rest of the team go with their energy and go with their numbers. And hopefully, you know, ride off their, te- their their shirt tails, and that's why you pick the big the big names and the best players. Because if not, you'd leave them out of the tournament. Who are your semi finalists? England, Australia, India, and the Pakistan. I don't think Pakistan's batting's good enough to get them out of the group stages. If 
they lose wickets in the power play. And I think the difference between Australian pitchers and Pakistan pitchers is that I think the, the quick bowlers become more effective in these conditions and there might be more wickets in power players. So I think this is where England, I think, have got great balance of the side. That number seven spot could be a huge player in this tournament because if you lose a couple of power play wickets, your number seven has got to be able to score runs. And I think because England could potentially have a batsman at number seven, that could be the difference uh, in getting an extra 20 runs. And that, for me, would possibly knock Pakistan out of the semi-final because I think I don't think their middle order is suited for, for Australian pitchers. Their bone attack's fantastic. Their top two... Brilliant. And, you know, they could go and they could go and blow teams away, not a problem at all. I just look at that middle order and think that would worry me if I was a Pakistan fan, especially in Australian pitches. Somebody might come out of the woodwork and literally could pick a name out of the hat for the for the other players. But I can see Australia getting to the semi-final, England getting to the semi-final, and, and obviously India. South Africa could get there, but they'll have to score 220 in every game. I think that would be an ask. I think that would be an ask. I can, one thing I will say about this tournament, I think we're going to see some big numbers. I think the pitches are going to be good. I think we're going to see some big, big numbers. I think we're going to see some you know, 200 plus uh, quite a few times. I think 180, 190. Wow, that's a that's a big score. That might not be good enough. I think we'd be looking at 200 nearly every single game because I think these pitches will be will be proper. They'll be very, very good pitches to bat on. And actually, the team, the bowling team, the best bowling unit probably will win the T20 World Cup because they will be the ones that. Yeah, that that just just stop that run rate going to that 11, 12, 13, and then all of a sudden, bang, the the bowling unit, and that's why India, huge, just Brumman's not in because the death overs could be the difference between winning and losing the competition. And we didn't mention perennial semi finalists, New Zealand. I think mm. they've uh, also got a chance. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Next up. We'll be joined by one half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast to discuss the news that Shimron Hetmeyer won't play for the West Indies in this World Cup after missing his flight. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland 
and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm delighted to say, as promised at the top of the show, we are joined live now by Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt. And I'm really looking forward to this 10 minutes because, I mean, you don't get too many uneventful weeks in West Indian cricket, but this has been a real cracker. Shimron Hetmeyer, John Campbell, and that's just to name two. Let's start with Shimron Hetmeyer then, Mash. Um, so he said, thanks for picking me, but I can't travel with you. I need to travel a bit later. Can you change my flight? They then, West Indies Cricket Board changes his flight and then he misses it. Is that the long and short of it? I mean, in, in a nutshell, and um, hi, 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 manners, hi, hi, harmy. But um, in, in a nutshell, that's the story. And I'm sure there'll still be a bit more to come out in the in, in the dirty washing in the next few months or so. But ultimately, Shimon Hetmeyer has lost a lot of goodwill in West Indies cricket, and most notably, I'd argue that he's lost a, a lot of goodwill within Guyana itself as well. I think the, the Guyanese public have generally speaking defended Shimron Hetmeyer when he's fallen foul of Cricket West Indies regulations. I mean, most recently he's failed, what, three fitness tests in the last two years with regards to West Indies selection. And he still had quite a lot of supporters blaming Cricket West Indies for that rather than Shimron, Shimron's lack of professionalism. But this may well be one step too far now for Shimron Hetmeyer. I don't, I don't know how they'll find a middle ground on this going forwards. And I think the, the argument that I've always made about this, which is key, is the personnel that were involved with trying to broker this. It was Jimmy Adams. Jimmy Adams is one of the most likeable people in West Indies cricket. And if you've got a statement from Jimmy Adams saying that he effectively told Shimron, we will all we will reorganise your flight as requested, but if you do not get on it, you will leave us in no position other than to go and pick a replacement player. And Jimmy has bent over backwards in the last four to five years to try and foster more harmonious relationships between the players and the administrators. And reading between the lines, you kind of sense that there was a real sense of palatable frustration um, on the on the part of Jimmy that Shimron has kind of pulled this stunt on the eve of a World Cup. Michelle, is it as simple as I've played with a load of players who are just simply dozy? You know, leaving passports at home when you're going to the when you're getting going on tour. I can think of Ravi Bapara on one trip. I think it was to the West Indies that he had to get his passport taxied to the to the airport, and it's like, Ravi, we're going on a plane. We're going out the country. You've got to realise that you know you, the biggest thing you're going to need when you get to is your passport. So there are players in, and I, I use Ravi as an example because great lad, but a little bit yeah forgetful. There are players like that. But there are players who is a symptomatic of possible arrogance. Somebody thinking he's a bit big for his boots, too big for the station. Somebody who has played franchise cricket around the world and a lot of money, 
and maybe he's outgrown in his eyes, outgrown the West Indies. Is it as simple as that? Because that would worry me because if all of a sudden you don't start smacking it around the park and you are not getting these franchise contracts, there's only one way you've got to get back into the game and that's going back to the West Indies. Very true. And I think it's, of the examples you've given, I think it's more of the latter. And I think I'll use this example. During the last IPL, um, Shimron Hetmeyer's wife ha- um, had, had a child and Shimron's um, uh, franchise, the Rajasthan Royals, essentially ferried him back to Guyana. Shimron went to attend the birth of his child, stayed in Guyana, I think, for about a week, then got back on a plane to go to the IPL to finish the competition. And this is the kind of, this is where I think he's gone wrong. Because people are rightly saying you are able to make a flight to go back and forth between the IPL. But when West Indies book you on a new flight, you're making excuses as to why you can't get on that flight to to go to the World Cup. And the worry for me is this. If you're willing to pull this stunt for a World Cup, why would you ever play a bilateral series? Why would you ever go out of your way to play West Indies go to Zimbabwe and South Africa next year? Why would Shimron turn up? What's the point? If you don't want to go to a World Cup, which I arguably is the showpiece event in the format that is most known for, why turn up for a bilateral series? I, and that's the, I'm not sure if, and maybe this is the dozy part, Harvey. I'm not sure if, if, if Shimron realises where he set the bar and, mm. and the, the kind of story he's told about himself by not turning up for, for the World Cup. But without wanting to get into, into too many details, because I don't know if this is the 100% version of the story, my understanding is that ultimately it relates to family and wanting to be with family. And that's fundamentally why there were some complications about getting on a flight. And I guess in that sense, and Harmi is an ex-pro, there are some players who prefer being at home. But oh, you're talking he, could to gone up, he could have just gone about it in a better way. You're talking to one. I, I openly wrote in my book, there was times I was on my way at the airport thinking, oh, my, my car bummed into another car, and then I missed that flight because I didn't want to leave my family. If that's mm. the case, that's I've got 100% sympathy with him. I really have. I really got 100% sympathy with him. And that's why I was asking the question, is it dozy? Is it arrogance? Is it something else? Because what we've got here is a talented boy. Forget what the rest of what I've just said before. He's a talented cricketer who is not playing, who's not going to be playing cricket. And the worry is that if a man like Jimmy Adams is trying his hardest to try and keep him in the in the organization, if he's had enough, the next question is, Michelle, is it is this possibly the end for Shimon Hetmeyer? My my gut instinct is that we don't see him for at least a year. We barely saw him for the last year anyway. I mean, since since COVID, he pulled out of the England series. Um, which he had his right to pull out of. He pulled out of the Bangladesh series, again, which he, had his, which he had his right to because of COVID. He barely played last year, failed fitness tests repeatedly, came back for the India series. And then when New Zealand turned up, he pulled out of that series. <laughs> so so, so this, this, is, this is a player that hasn't played a lot of cricket for the West Indies in the last two years. So again, you can only go on what you see, right? And what we see is a player that's not been the most committed for the West Indies since about 2019. So if this is his way of drawing his international career to an end, so be it. But as you say, Harmi, there will come a point in time. Remember, he's only 26. There will come a point in time where he'll probably need the West Indies again. Uh, So I I just wonder if he knows what he's playing at here. Okay, I'm going to ask you two questions in one here. Was John Campbell being dozy in missing a dope test in Jamaica in April earlier this year and he's now got a four-year ban 
Um, and then you can lead straight on from that into uh, no Andre Russell and this really, really confusing messaging about the non-selection of Sun on the Rhine. This is why West Indies cricket is such a it's such a maze. <laughs> but uh, okay, let's deal with John first. So the understanding, as I've got, is got it from speaking to um, various people in Jamaica, is that John Campbell fell victim of a whereabouts violation. But it's a bit more complex than that. As I understand it, the JADCO um, authorities, which is basically Jamaica's dope testing authorities, did turned up at John Campbell's house on the day that he said he would be in. They turned up outside of the hours that he said he would be in. As a result, he didn't take the test. Now, a lot more will come out in in the news, I think, in due course. But as I understand it, he was present, but it was just outside of the hours that he said that he would be in. And something has happened. Now, to understand this situation with John Campbell, though, you kind of almost have to look outside the sport of cricket. Because Jadko have, have come under scrutiny, particularly with regards to athletics, and Jamaica in general has come under scrutiny with regards to the efficiency of its dope testing. And the, the consensus in Jamaica is that John Campbell has been made a scapegoat for this to show that Jadko can be firm on, uh, on, on violations. Uh, you may both remember that Andre Russell fell victim of a um, whereabouts violation, got a one-year ban. Now, John Campbell getting a four-year ban for a whereabouts violation doesn't make any sense in the context of what happened to uh, Dre Russ, unless you are assuming an example is being being made out of him. Now, obviously, an appeal will take place, and maybe that will be reduced in due course. But you you take four years away from a cricketer from all aspects of cricket. How's he going to make a living then? That's his. That's the way he lives. So um, it's very very draconian. And um, this, uh, we didn't select Sunil Narayan because we didn't think he wanted to play for us. Oh, boy. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so I, I really don't know how to answer this one other than to say I've never been convinced that Sunil Narayan genuinely wants to play for the West Indies. Or if he does, it's got to be on the ter- his terms, not on certainly not on Cricket West Indies terms. I do think there are some issues that Sunil has with regards to what might happen in an international tournament with, um, in terms of his action. I think there's some fears around that. But fundamentally, if you look at it on the surface, no other team, if they had Sunil Narayan as an option, would re- hmm. wouldn't pick him unless there's a deeper reason behind it. Will we ever find out what the deeper reason is? I refuse to accept it's as simple as, well, Sunil didn't let us know if he was available or not. Because as I've always said, Manners, when you when you have a situation like the West Indies in South Africa, I think have similar situations as well, and, and the Kiwis to an extent. Sometimes with these players, just pick them anyway and force them to have to pull out. It, 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 there's too much kind of grey area if there's all this kind of does he, doesn't he. Here's how you make it simple. Pick them. And then when they publicly say, I cannot go or I do not want to go to the World Cup, everybody gets the answer as to what goes on, but we leave, this is where I'm critical of cricket West Indies, they allow too much grey matter to come into the conversation, so no one's ever fully certain who's to blame in any, or who who's most at fault in any given situation. Yeah, I'm 100% with that, for the simple fact is, and we're going to see this, I think, Michelle, over the course of the next 12 months, that players are going to have to choose whether to play international cricket or stick with their franchise because a lot of franchise tournaments are cropping up now around the world at the same time as international cricket. So I think boards are going to have to be firm and say, right, this is our 15-man squad. 
we are picking the best players we've got, and it's up to you if you want to pull out because we are our boards are going to get so much stick. So on a positive note, though, and I hope it's positive, Nicholas Poran's going to take a team into Australia. What do you think their chances are, given the fact that Sonera Ryan's not going, Hepmeyer's not going, no Andre Russell? Is it a case of this is a building tournament for further down the line? And if you don't want to play for the West Indies, so be it. We'll pick the best 15 we've got and we'll try and give them experience because I've been in the West Indies now, January and March, test match and one day. There's some talented boys out there, really, really talented boys. I'm thinking the likes of Odin Smith and one or two others that will really sort of flourish if they're given the chance and they're going to be given the chance. Uh, You've hit the nail on the head. So I think that this is a building block World Cup for 2024 because remember the next T20 World Cup comes to the United States and the West Indies. So if if Cricket West Indies were smart, they see this as a building block to the home tournament where actually a strong showing would be necessary in front of the home fans. However, West Indian fans will not see it like that. <laughs> and, uh, and if we if we crash and burn out at the tournament very early, I suspect that people demand for certain heads to roll. Listen, my my taking it is simple. Last World Cup, we won one match. We gambled on taking um, our kind of former GOAT generation for one last run. It didn't work. This year, we've got a very inexperienced squad, not in terms of age, in terms of international experience. And I think that matters. And I think there is a clear gap between us and the likes of England and Australia and, and so on and so forth. So I would just accept them getting through the, the qualifying stage. I, I, I'll just accept that. <laughs> get, get, get through the qualifying stage. And whatever happens in the main stage of the tournament, so be it. I think two wins in the main stage of the tournament, if they get there, and I think you'd have to accept that as a building block and a okay, a par, a par tournament. But um, if you're expecting me to say we're going to reach the final four or anything like that, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> none, none of that. Not this year. Michelle St. Patrick here. It's been fantastic uh, talking to you um, from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast and any subscribers to the Cricket Collective. If you're not subscribed to the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, you should be um, and you should go and do it now. And You can hear a lot more about uh, West Indian cricket. So, Michelle, um, we'll talk again soon, no doubt. Thanks for your time. It's been a great week. Let's hope for a quieter one next week. <laughs> no worries. Take care of the both of you, yeah? You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. OK, on to uh, domestic matters. Um, Moan Ali's reversed his decision to come out of retirement uh, for Test cricket, which is, I know, something that um, you think is eminently sensible, Harmy. I mean, once you've made that decision... You know, and he he acknowledged that, didn't he? He said, "Like I, I, I made it for the right reasons at the time, and I and I've just got to stick with it." Yeah, I think so. I think it's I think it's the right reason. When he came out last time, it looked as though he'd, he'd made the wrong decision. Then I think he looked as though he wasn't quite with the decision he made. I'm not saying that had any adverse effect on his cricket, but I think when you make these decisions, it, it doesn't always end well. And I think the right decision has been made as much as. I think England need Moen Ali to go to Pakistan. And I think it would be good for Moen. But I think if, you, if your heart's not in the right, and your head's not in the right place, then no, it's not the right thing to, to, to sort of come back out of retirement. So um, I think the correct decision eventually has been made. Um, and England will have to find somebody else to, to fill that second spinner slot if they go down the road of playing two spinners. Because at the minute, nobody really putting their hand up. And that would be something 
you know, for the selection panel to look at and think, we might have to play an extra seamer because the extra seamer could be more effective on these Pakistan wickets than a spin bowler who, if he's not quite at it, could get belted. Okay, the next item is uh, sort of three items rolled into one, really. Um, there's a, a compromise that's been floated about uh, the reduction in county championship matches from 14 to 10, which is what the Sir Andrew Strauss uh, High Performance Review suggested. There's now uh, a compromise being on the table of 12 championship matches. And this kind of ties in with Tim Bostock and Richard Gould, both excellent candidates, I, I believe, um, in that now in a two-horse race to become the new uh, ECB chief executive. Um, and this is... And it, Ties in with a third story. Um, Rory Burns uh, did a, an interview tele- in the Telegraph, um, in which he said, "I had August off." Pretty much, you don't need to add to that. I mean, Rory Burns, England Test cricketer, captain of Surrey, had August off. <laughs> it's you know, so um, the chief. It's just one of the problems that whoever gets the the, the, the CEO job uh, needs to confront. Yeah, and the, the, the CEO job is, I think, is something that needs to be in place very, very quickly. And you're right, two unbelievable candidates. I think whoever comes in, either one will will be an asset to the ECB. I hope it's Richard Gould because I don't want Tim Bostock to leave Durham um, <laughs> because of what uh, what Tim's done for Durham. He's rebuilt Durham. He's done brilliantly. And whoever gets the job, whichever one, I, I, I say that in tongue in cheek because I'd love. Tim to get the ECB job because I think he'd do a fantastic job there as well. But you know, both both men have got cricket hearts, and that's what we want. We want somebody that understands the game, knows the game, and got cricket at heart, not business at heart. Cricket at heart. They both know the business inside out, um, and they'll be very very good at, I think, managing the, the the sort of balance between cricket and business. And Rory Burns, he's right. It's criminal that we're not playing in in August. I, it's a simple scenario for me. You, there's no reason why we can't play cricket alongside the 100. I really can't. We've got so many cricketers in this country. You have to plan accordingly ahead. You know, the Royal London Cup this year was yeah, probably the only time a coach had his a settled squad. He knew a settled squad for a tournament because he knew that nobody was, nobody was going to come and pinch his players. England weren't playing. 100 weren't coming, calling. I've got nine games with this squad. Bang. There you go. There's no reason why the, the, the championship can't be played around around the hundred. Um, and and Rory Burns, case in point, you know, this guy's trying to get back into the England team, and if he doesn't play in August, what message is that sending the, the selectors? Do you know what I mean? I, I, it's madness. And it and I, and and Ben Ben Stokes said he had a, an issue with preparation for the for the for Test series. We've got to we've got to have our guys playing playing Red Bull cricket leading into a test match series. So for no no games in August is for me is is criminal. I'm not saying you have to play Red Bull cricket in August. All I'm saying is you have to give you know the players the best chance. And somebody like Rory Burns who's trying to get back in the test squad and he he should be trying to get back in the test squad because he is one of the players who I feel sorry for. There's 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 a handful of players who lost their place during COVID or who played through COVID, their name should come back in the hat for international spots because the simple fact is they played the game at its toughest, mentally toughest, um, and now they should they should have their their their, their names back in the back in the ring once everything's come off because they were they were good players, fantastic players. They might have just had the the sort of the, the hundred the, the sort of COVID syndrome of 
just being too many bubbles, the cricket getting to them, and they've obviously lost some concentrations. They are making mistakes, and 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 they lost their place because of that. So no cricket in August doesn't give them the best chance to stake a claim for the Test matches at the back end of the summer. So. Look, we've had this conversation many, many times. I don't think there's an easy solution, but I think 14 championship games is a must for me. I'm not a big fan of 10. As much as I did say that, I have said that before, that we need to reduce our our games. But if we play 10 championship games and we have a bad summer when it comes to weather, we're only going to play effectively six and a half, seven. So for me, I think 14 is a game. They've just got to fit the calendar better. I was getting my newspapers mixed up. Uh, I meant uh, the the mail... Um, had a, an exclusive scoop in it um, a couple of days ago, confirming what you told listeners of the Cricket Collective a month ago, that um, Stuart Broad will not be going to Pakistan because <laughs> he's staying at home to become a father. Yeah, and that's uh, that was only natural for me. And it wasn't so much sort of inside knowledge. It was just Stuart Broad has given everything he has possibly had to give English cricket. And he's been quite, not quite selfish. I would say he's been quite driven to be the best he possibly can be in his career. And he's he's chose to be a father later on in his career. I did it the opposite way. I did it the opposite way. I was 19 when I had my first child. I missed Abby's being born for, for three months. That doesn't happen now. And I know for a fact that Stuart Broad has, has been driven in his career to try and be the best he possibly could be. And he's now going to become a father later on in his in his career. I had no doubt that he was going to miss the, the Pakistan tour because I think the right thing for ECB was to let him have have that time to to be a human being again, rather than that robotic figure that Stuart Broad has been for fifteen years and just take wickets after wickets. Give him the Pakistan trip off, and we all have a you know what it's like to be living in the real life for a little bit. I tell you one thing: he'd be desperate to get to New Zealand by the time January comes. <laughs> Uh, having having that four children myself, I know for a fact that first tour away after the little one's born, boy, you just enjoy your sleep after that. So you'd be desperate to go to New Zealand once the new year comes. And one day, Harmy, Abby will forgive you. Um, for yeah, one, one day she will. One day, she'll be in her thirties. At the minute, she's milking it. So <laughs> um, no, and, and and that is that is. I know there's one or two others who who weren't there for. You know, birth of of child, and, and it's such a difficult thing on a on a tour to to sort of manage when you've got one eye on home, and you've actually no, you haven't. You've got both eyes at home, and you've got cricket going on around. I came right at the back end of that old school time where cricket was the most important thing, and your job was to, just to play cricket. Your wives and girlfriends and families didn't come on tour. Not now, not now. The world's changed, and I think Stuart Broad deserves a little bit of time off. Um, and fingers crossed, everything goes well for him and Molly and and new one to come. And by the time it comes to January, you'll be desperate to get on that plane to New Zealand. I've got no doubt of that whatsoever. <laughs> OK, a couple more points I want to um, raise with you. I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but Jason Roy is set to miss out on um, an England central contract. Ben Folks, I think rightly, undisputedly, is uh, set to get his first uh, central contract. But Jason Roy, I mean... There have been some spectacular falls from very high places um, in the history of cricket. You know, I can think of a, of a couple who went from you know the top of the top of the game, top top of the world, to to nowhere in you know in the space of a year. But generally, it was sort of towards the very back end of their careers. Surely, Jason Roy is going to rise again. Absolutely, I've got no doubt that Jason will will rise again, and maybe out of the spotlight might be a good thing for him. 
I know he became a father in recent time, and sometimes when that comes, it it just knocks your focus a little bit because you realise there's more to things than cricket. You realise there's more to life than cricket. He is uh, an unbelievable talent in white ball cricket, and he might have had the COVID the the the, the situation of the bubbles and life and everything that comes with it. It was difficult for these guys, and I think that's something that they've had to to put up with. And I think now coming out the other side of it, I've I've seen him on some of his social media stuff. He's traveling the world. He's with with a family. He's 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 enjoying life again. And I've got no doubt he will score runs again. He's too good not to. So watch this space. I think Jason Roy will be back. He'll be back very very soon. And I think he's not got nothing to prove. He's a World Cup winning opening batsman, he's got nothing to prove. And I think now the relaxation of, of going out and hitting the ball again, I think he will definitely be the one, one of the ones that will bounce back, no doubt whatsoever. Ben Folks deserves a central contract. He's kept brilliantly for England. And you know, watch this space because I think Jason will be back. OK, we're going to finish this week with a ticking time bomb. <laughs> Three... <laughs> uh, yeah, another one. There's lots of them in world cricket. Three ODIs, England against South Africa, rescheduled from two years ago, scheduled for January 27th, January the 9th, and February the 1st, right towards the back end of the SA20. They cannot be staged at any of the major six test match grounds, um, and they cannot be staged um, on the high felt in Benoni and Pochestrum because they're being used for the under-19 Women's World Cup. The only venues that are available are in Bloemfontein and Kimberley. You know from personal experience, I think, how difficult they are to get to those those places. There are very few flights and very small planes. Anyway, that's where the three one-day internationals are being played, towards the back end of the SA20, in which the likes of Josh Butler and Liam Livingston are playing. There will That's just before the playoff games, so playoff places will be at stake. The Pile Royals are paying Joss Butler $500,000, half a million dollars to play for them. He's captain of England's one-day team. He now has to go from Pile to Bloemfontein to play a couple of one-day internationals, missing a couple of Pile Royals games. Is the bomb ticking for you? No, the bomb's exploded. <laughs> the bomb's exploded big time. That's, that's huge for ECB. Rob Key selection panel, possibly even higher. Possibly it's not even it's not even in the intro of Rob Key. This could be the new chief exec's intro. This could be the first time a, a board has to make a decision on domestic or international cricket, and it could be the first time you might see. I don't think it'll happen with Josh Butler. I think Josh Butler will play for England, but you might see a, a Liam Livingston or Moen Ali go no. I'm not playing. I'm going to play for my franchise. This could be the first time. It'll be interesting, the, one of the biggest ones, what happens to Jofra Archer? Because he's going to be fit. And if England England want any cricket into him, he might have to play in that SA tournament or the tournament in Abu Dhabi to get some fitness because there's no, there'll be nowhere really for, for, for Jofra to get any, any bowling competitive juices going before... England won them back, which is in that 50-over competition. So one of them big franchises will be paying them a few quid as well to play in that. So, yeah, it's it could be the, it could be the start or the, the beginning of the end of what we've, seen, what we've been saying for a while. Bilateral cricket. Bilateral cricket could explode this ticking time bomb because of not only England, 
but who on earth is South Africa going to pick? <laughs> who on earth are South Africa going to pick? Because the one thing I will, and I will happily say this, there's a lot of selfishness in South Africa, West Indies, players, because they don't get paid from a central contract point of view, the big bucks, the big dollar. Now, in this tournament, 2020 tournament, they're getting paid the big dollar. Now, they're not going to turn their back on the big dollar just to play for, play for their nations. There's no way the West Indies players will be playing. And I don't think South African players will play either. I don't think players who are getting paid, like Higisa Rabada, Unric Nokia, these big boys who are getting paid an awful lot of money by their franchise. They just pop off the Kimberley or pop off the Bloemfontein, play a 50-over competition game where they might miss three, three games, which would be a hell of a lot of money. I think it's going to be more in South Africa than it is in England. Teba Bavuma is going to be on the phone calling his mates. Do you fancy a game? England. (laughs) It could be, it could be, literally, it could be Orange Free State against England with Teba Bavuma as captain. (laughs) You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Matherman. Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, which is now available via the free Talksport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week to look back at uh, some of the first few games of the T20 World Cup. But for now, this has been a particularly fun edition of the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.